This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. I want to present an idea to you today and embark on this journey together through a series that I'm calling Unseen Love. Unseen Love. God's been dealing with me for several weeks. It's really even stretched back a little further than that. but About this whole mentality of we're battling things that we can see rather than the things that we can't see. And it goes even further, and I'm going to break this down in several ways, and I'm going to deal with unseen, and I'm going to deal with love, and then I'm going to deal with unseen love. But I'm going to, I guess, challenge your thought, and you're going to accuse me over the next few weeks of being over-spiritual and over-spiritualizing things, and that's exciting. That means that I've got your wheels spinning. Because I hope by the end of this, people are accusing you of over-spiritualizing things. Because the same way that our struggles this morning in practice had nothing to do with our gifts and our talents and our ability and our skill, although that's what it felt like, that's what we face, that's what we could see, that's most definitely what we could hear, was our lack of ability in the moment this morning that wasn't the real issue. And, and I'm not some person that's super better than anybody else. I have just really began training my heart and my eyes and my spirit to, to see this. And it's not something that I've done forever. I'm talking within the last month. The Lord's really shifted something in me. And I'm seeing something and I'm seeing this warfare that's taking place. And I'm seeing the fact that I'm not actually battling whether I can play the piano or not. What I'm battling is the fact that God wants to use the gift to do something great. And the enemy wants to destroy it and take it from me. You with me? Here's the clarity of this, and I'm going to get to my scripture in a moment, but I'm going to practicalize it, if you will, before I even read it to you. The fact is, my ability and my skill to play this keyboard is temporal. It's not eternal. Because if you see me in heaven, I sure enough hope I can play that thing with majesty and grace, with an anointing that I'm going to play it with perfection, right? The gift is going to be perfected. So my skill and my lack of ability is temporal. It's temporary. It's not eternal. The gift and the calling that God has on my life is eternal. And when I fix my eyes and focus my eyes on the things that are temporary, the things I can see, the things I can feel, it distracts me and I'm no longer focusing on the things that are actually eternal, like my worship. When I'm focused on my lack of ability and my struggle and the fact that we we were on a major struggle bus this morning, when we focus on that and we don't focus on the fact our worship was going to pierce hell, our worship can't pierce hell because we're focused on what's temporal. You with me? That's the basis of this entire sermon series. Who knew that it would give out the perfect illustration today? 
We did not mess up practice to give me a worship illustri- um, sermon illustration. We've got to retrain our hearts. And we've got to realign with the Spirit. We fasted in January. And I talked a lot about spiritual sensitivity. Spiritual sensitivity and, and picking up on the fact that our struggle this morning wasn't really a struggle on our own being, but it was a struggle in the spiritual. Maybe I'll overuse the illustration. I don't know, but I need you to get the point. In January, we talked about spiritual sensitivity. The church, if the church is going to, to be the church, what makes us different than the rest of the world? In the political realm, what makes us different? In, in the school system, what makes us different? In, in the marketplace, what makes us different? What's supposed to make us different is we're supposed to be filled with the Spirit of God, and we're supposed to be battling and working through things differently than everybody else because they've not been filled with the Spirit of God when they come to know Jesus. There's supposed to be a distinction. There's supposed to be something that separates us. You agree? I'm telling you, I cut this sermon like way down. I can preach it all today. If you don't stay with me and communicate with me. I told Micah I was mad when I put my iPad, my iPad down last yesterday afternoon. I said, I'm frustrated because I want to preach it all tomorrow. There's supposed to be a distinction. But we've become so accustomed to the rest of our culture that we are now seeing the same things that they see. We see the imperfections. We see the inabilities. We see the the things that they put on a pedestal. We see those same things being put on a pedestal. We now see the, the political realm as some controlling, governing factor of our lives. When that's all temporal, it means absolutely nothing. I don't care who the president is. The fact is, I'm a child of God, and if we all died right now in this moment, praise Jesus we go to heaven and I could give a flip less who's in the White House but until we get to a spiritual maturity where we see the unseen we can't grasp that concept and that's what this is all about I didn't preach last week can you tell 2nd Corinthians is where we're headed chapter 4 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is going to kind of be a theme verse for us over these next weeks. Our main verse is chapter, or verse 18, but I want to start reading actually in 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 13. So since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. That thought process, let me break it down in case you're not following. I can speak and believe that no matter what happens here on this earth, no matter what happens in my life, no matter what happens moment to moment to moment, no matter what happens, the fact is that God who raised the Lord Jesus is also going to raise me with the Lord Jesus and bring me to himself. You with me? 
that makes the rest of our struggles and our trials seem a lot less important and they matter a whole lot less when the fact is I can believe and even speak audibly that I'm going to be with the Lord. He's going to raise me. And then it goes on. Verse 15, it says, For it is all, um, it is all for your sake, so that grace extends to more people, and it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. The world is not crumbling and falling apart. In fact, I believe the church has the potential for revival, and this great awakening can take place again. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away. Some of you can say amen a little more than others. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Although I'm getting older and although I've got aches and pains that I never had, I wake up in the morning and my knee hurts and my foot hurts and I got all, although my outer self is wasting away, it doesn't matter because my inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction, momentary, light, that means everything I'm struggling with is only for a moment. And in the grand scheme of life, it's only a light affliction. For the light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And verse 18 brings us to this thought as we look not how do we get to that place? How do we allow our external self to move while the inner self is being renewed day by day? How do, we, how do we accept this and how does grace extend to more people that it may increase in thanksgiving to the glory of God? How do we do that? We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. I mean, they're temporal. They're here. This table one day will break down and will be nothing. They're transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. There's so much power in that. The things that are seen, you think about it, everything you see in some way, shape, or form is passing away. Even the beauty of God's creation shifts and turns and the mountains are molded and shaped by the waters that flow through them. Everything that we see is transient. It's temporal. It's temporary. We, do, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. That's what this whole thought is about for us. We live in a society where we see so many things that are unseen. For instance, uh, if you rode in here in a vehicle today, somewhere along the line, because for some reason air isn't free, you paid, whether you paid at a tire shop or whether you paid for a piece of equipment or whether you paid somebody to put air in your tires to inflate them to a certain pressure so that your car would float on the road and get you here. Right? You got air in your tires. There's some new fancy ones coming out where you don't have to put air in them, but we ain't there yet. If you showed up on a car, you've got air in your tires. Can you see the air? No. You believe the air's there? Don't you put your life in, in the hands of that air? 
that, that the tire ain't going to just do something crazy and, and it's not going to be mushy and you're going to make it here and you're not, something's not going to happen. We put faith and confidence in the fact that there's air in my tires to get me to the house today, right? We have confidence in that unseen. When I came in this morning, the house was dark and I flipped on the lights and I had confidence unlike Thursday night, it went black. Lord have mercy. That was fun. We played hide-and-go-seek, we sang around the piano, and then we finally had worship practice at a worship practice Thursday night. I asked Valerie about the bruise on her chin. When I flipped on the lights, I had confidence that electricity was going to flow and light up the light bulbs, right? Unfortunately, we pay for that. And when the power company tells us that I used more power this month than I did last month, we have to pay even more money for something I cannot see. I see the, the results. When I walk up and touch a, a light switch sometimes, and if I stick my fingers in the, in the socket, I might see a little spark, but I don't see the electricity flowing from wherever it flows through that PWC's got set up to flow into this building. You agree? Yet we put faith in the unseen. People are living on ventilators. They're on life support. And electricity is powering those devices. They are literally putting life in the hands of an unseen substance as electricity. You with me? We have folks riding down the road in their cars by themselves with a mask on. Maybe because they forgot to take it off. Maybe because they're scared they're going to give themselves the coronavirus. I don't know. Our world's turned upside down over the last 12 months now. We've, we've made new laws. We've created curfews for people, adults that have curfews. Mandates to wear a mask, whether the science is really there or not, to wear the mask. None of the argument matters. The point is, I can't see the coronavirus. Can you? I'm not going to say it's not there. I don't have microscopic vision to see the virus. Yet people actually wash their hands when they leave the bathroom now. Friend, if you didn't wash your hands when you left the bathroom before, you almost deserved the coronavirus. Why? Because we believe that something exists, although we can't see it. I've lived it. It's real. I promise you it's real. I didn't even believe it was real. when the, I was like, oh, this ain't going to be. Nah, it ain't no joke. My dad, when he, he was tested positive uh, back in December, on that day he said, I ain't got the coronavirus. That test is wrong. By Sunday he said, this thing ain't no joke. Our world has turned upside down because of something that we can't even see. Yet we, as the church, choose not to see the things in the spiritual that are unseen. Every four years, I'm, can, can we just be real? I'm kind of glad it's not live streamed today. Can we just be honest? Every four years, the church has a soapbox that they like to stand up on, and whichever candidate that's against abortion is who the church is going to vote for. You with me? You know why we're that way? 
Because abortion's dirty. It's gruesome. It's nasty. There's feeling attached to abortion. We can see it. Don't mishear me. It's wrong. 100% it's wrong. But what the church chooses not to see is the sexual immorality that brings on abortion. We won't address the root issue. We, we don't want to deal with that because we don't know how to handle it. We can't touch it. We, we don't know how to, we, we don't want to get close to that. So instead, we sit on a soapbox and we scream this major platform of being anti-abortionist. And I'm all for it. Don't mishear me. My point is, that's what we can see. We choose not to see the actual root issue. Any type of gratification outside of the marriage bed is wrong. We won't address that problem. Therefore, the result is this easy way out of abortion. You with me? And, and we see the, the temporal, the transient. We see the thing that's in front of us. And we argue that to the core. But we never fight the devils that bring that on in the first place. It's death. It's murder, but it all stems out of sexual immorality. We don't want to have the uncomfortable conversations, particularly in the pulpit and in the church, because we just don't do that kind of thing. Family, who else is going to? We've got to see the things that are unseen and begin to deal with those. Racism. Racism's all about skin color. What else can you see? I, mean, I don't mean to be any sort of way. If you took my skin and dyed it black, could you, would you know if I was a white or black man? And we see heritage. We see history. And, and it aggravates me to no end. I told Micah this week, I said, I almost feel like our babies would be better off not learning the heritage. Because they're pure. Their mind is that it's blind to color until they're taught to see it. And we battle our upbringing. We battle our raising. We battle our problem. We battle sometimes even the hurt that we dealt with in our own life. Because we can see it. We can feel it. But what we won't see is the selfishness. Can we just be real? Jesus was talking to this group of people, the, the disciples, and they're like, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He pulls aside this kid, and he says, whoever will lower themselves, whoever is the least is the greatest. How in the world can we be uh, the least and racist at the same time? We can't. If everybody else is above me, I'm not talking about putting myself down, I'm not talking about tearing myself down, but if everybody else exist above me in my, my life. I've been put here to serve people, regardless of who they are, people. If I've been put here to serve, and my life is about making my way to be the least, how can I possibly have an issue with somebody's skin color and even what the heritage looks like way back when if I'm going to be the least? You can't. Just like we had a conversation over the weekend. You cannot be mad at your spouse and pray over them at the same time. It's hard. You cannot have this, this thing going on 
and really be so angry with you cannot have that anger and pray over them at the same time. I know. I live it. Mike and I have a commitment that we do some sort of devotion and we pray together every night. Very, very few times has there been that we've not prayed together since in the last six or eight months. You know what happened? We were mad about something and I was over there stewing and she fell asleep before we could pray. Because I cannot bring myself to pray over her and pray over our family and our marriage when I'm mad at her. I'm to be careful and sort through this. How are we going to preach all this? I'm about done. This whole purpose is just to introduce this to you. We're seeing what we see. And we completely miss the unseen. Everything's spiritual. Everything is spiritual. I've, I've I'm determined I'm going to be accused of over-spiritualizing it. Because everything is spiritual. The devil can use my frustration to my kids not listening and doing what they're supposed to do in the morning to mess up my day and throw me off track of who I'm supposed to minister to. It's spiritual. Had nothing to do with what I could see. It was spiritual. The enemy can use division between her and I to bring this weird sort of funkiness and it not feel good. The enemy can use that to destroy me. I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you. I can't sit down to write a message if we're in this, this weird tension dispute that it don't have to be no knockdown drag out. We don't have those. It can be that I've said something that might have hurt her or rubbed her wrong. And if I know there's any tension, I cannot sit down to write a message to stand in this pulpit and preach. And the enemy will use the smallest, simplest little things to try to stop ministry from going forward. I don't mean to call you out. I feel like I can. Brother Tommy didn't sleep good last night. And he, and he walked in this morning different than he normally walks in. And the struggle is, the fact of the matter is, I don't care why he didn't sleep good. The point is the enemy wants to use that lack of sleep to mess up his worship, which in turn messes up everything. Because I'm going to be very honest with you. Most of the time when nobody else has got their hands up, my brother back there with both his hands up in worship, and I can pock and focus my eyes and beam my eyes on him, and I'm unified with him worshiping. And the enemy wants to use a, a bad night's sleep in that moment to mess up a whole lot. He didn't let it happen this morning, just so you know. But it's not the things we can see. It's the things that we can't see. And I can't wrap my head around the fact that we pay for electricity, more electricity when they say so, because somebody tells me to, but I choose not to see the way things are in the spiritual How do we see revival in our personal life? How do we see victory in our personal life? I don't have this in my notes because it's not supposed to be for today. I don't want to mess it up, though. We're fighting the wrong kind of battle with the wrong kind of weapons. And getting the wrong kind of results. 
we're frustrated, we're beat down, we're tired, can't figure out why we can't get a victory, why we can't get ahead. God moved the way God moved in here earlier because we determined that our train wreck of a practice had nothing to do with skill and ability, had nothing to do with what we could hear and what we couldn't hear. It was spiritual. You don't have to know this. I'm going to tell you because I feel like it fits the moment. I walked in my office after that practice. I printed out all my notes, got everything situated. There's a heaviness. And I'm not one to typically on a Sunday morning, I'll spend my time in here praying before the worship team gets here. Everything's oily and greasy because it's all been anointed. I put my headphones on in my office. And I kneeled over that chair on my knees and I bawled my eyes out. If I walked out looking like I was bloodshot eyes, I was bloodshot eyes. Because the only way we can battle, this is real family. This has been made so real, I'm telling you. We want to see this church explode in growth personally within. And you want growth in your own life. And out of that, we see growth in the number, the people that are coming in. They're going to see something. They're going to be attracted to something. They're going to come. If we want that, that comes through. This is the hold back. See? can't even see that but you heard it this is it though for so long we're the church every church i just pastored this one every church we're focused on what we can see and we're not willing to battle what we can't see and I've determined and purposed in my heart. You know why today was a struggle? Because this guy's made a decision that I'm tired of seeing what I can see, and I'm ready to see what I can't see. And I'm ready to go to war with hell, with worship that can't be seen. I'm ready to defeat the enemy for this house, for your life, for my life, for our families. How does it happen? We're fighting the wrong battles with the wrong weapons and getting the wrong results. And it don't work. Have we not proven that? It's time to change how we fight. My battle's not against you. Your battle's not against me. Why? I can see that. That's the number one sign. That's not the problem. If I make you mad or tick you off, if you can see me doing it, that's the number one sign. That's not the problem. There's something underlying. There's something there somewhere. It may have been my fault, but it's that the enemies use something that I've said. Hear me? The devils use something that I've said to rub you the wrong way and change the way you feel and change the way that I feel. It is not what you see. We've got to mature and move past what we can see. We don't lose heart. Because though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory, an eternal weight 
of glory. That means a lot of glory that lasts forever. An eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. What about our faith? I've cracked a lot on the negative today. Let's look at the positive. What about our faith? Hebrews says, Carter, did you get that or no? Hebrews 11.1. 1. Good job, sir. I just hand in my sermon notes and he finds it. Now, faith is the assurance. Some of your translations you learn say the evidence of things hoped for, the conviction or the proof, the evidence of things unseen. Let's break it down. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Do you realize that things hoped for are not in my hand? Mike and I had this dream one day to have this, to be at this place financially we can give away a car. It's weird. It may not mean nothing to you, but it does to us. We want to be able to give away a car. We're going to give away a car. I don't have that. That's a thing hoped for. But I have enough faith that I'm sure of the fact I have assurance. I'm sure of the fact I'm going to give away a car. I don't know how, why, what. I don't intend on it being no little, I mean, ain't nothing wrong with it, but I don't intend on it being a little $500 beater either. I'm talking I want to bless a family with a family vehicle. And I have assurance I'm going to do that one day by the Lord's grace and the Lord's provision. It's not me. It's going to be the fact that he allows things to flow through me so that then they can flow to somebody else. Don't mishear me. I'm not, it's not an arrogant statement. I have assurance that God's going to use us and bless us. We believe that. That God's going to allow us to do that one day. I might be on my deathbed at 99 years old. But I believe it's going to happen. The assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. I wrote this down really good and I don't want to mess it up. Carter, what page is it on? Just kidding. This is the question. If God's existence, power, love, and grace were on trial, would the faith that people see in us be enough to prove that he's real and exists? Do you hear that? I don't write a lot of stuff that I'll say that's good, but that was good. That's worth you even putting on Facebook after a while. I've always struggled with this definition of faith because it's just weird. It's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction, or the evidence, or the proof of things unseen. We quote it, we quote it, we quote it, but when we, I've always struggled to really break it down. And so I believe that the Lord really kind of broke it down for me yesterday. If God's grace, love, mercy, hope were all on trial, would my faith be enough proof to convict or enough evidence would what people see in me would a jury of 12 see enough faith in me to prove that God really does exist and he is who he says he is The moment that we stop seeing the things of God 
that are unseen is the moment that our faith level dropped drastically. And we now have doubt in our own faith ability. I was in a class this week. And I got a little, I don't know what you want to call it. I don't want to say I was jealous, but I ain't going to lie. There was a little bit of envy. The professor said when his baby was born, he was a stillborn. He said dead. This guy's like from Nigeria. He said dead, dead. He was dead. He said, I prayed over my son. He said, and I watched him take a breath. And the guy's 40 years old today. Raised the baby from the dead. I thought that's a great story. Fantastic. Well, then this other dude chimes in. Professor, professor, me and you have the same testimony. My son was a stillborn for two and a half hours. He prayed over that baby. Can we just think back for a minute to about uh, 25, 30 minutes ago, we struggled to keep worshiping the Lord? Can we just be honest and real? For two and a half hours, the man prayed over his baby, and the baby started crying and is alive today. And I thought, and I thought, my God, we, we missed it. In the Western world, our Western church, we have so much. We, we, everything we could need is, is here, and we've lost our dependence on that kind of faith. And there's no question that every nurse and every doctor, if God were on trial, and that man is praying in his Nigerian language over that baby, and that baby starts crying, that man had the faith to prove God's real. I've sat through funerals, and I've thought, what would it be like if they sat up in the casket? And quickly, my flesh checked me and said, "You ain't nobody in the room with enough faith to pray over him and make him do it. Is it reality? I believe it is. Because we only have faith. Put that verse back up, buddy. Hebrews 11.1, we only have faith in what can be seen and what I have in my hand. I believe this Bible is black. It's got great print. feels good in my hand. The pages are easy to read. You know why I believe that? I can see it. I believe I'm going to get something to eat here in just a little bit. It ain't happened just yet, but it ain't but just a, a few minutes away. I'm going to get me something to eat somewhere, shape, or form. I've got some confidence in that. I believe that because every Sunday I go get something to eat. My goal today is just to wake us up. So, wake up. Until we start focusing on the things that are unseen. How do you, Pastor, how you do that? You can't see it well. Obviously, you got to change your glasses a little bit. Because faith come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so when I'm viewing everything through the eyes of scripture and I'm realizing that every, everything is spiritual. Everything. 
Whoever's going to check me out when I go get my food in a little bit, whoever the cashier person that's going to ring me out, that interaction is spiritual. And I'm not just preaching to you. I'm preaching to me. I'm telling you. It has been mind-blowing to stop and take a step back. To move forward and to see an awakening. We've got to stop focusing on what we can see and look at the things that are not seen. Family, this church... I believe that all of you love me with all your heart and you support everything that we've ever done. Just go with me. Even if you don't, it's temporal. It's transient. It's not eternal. My eternal sanctuary that I'm going to worship in, Lord, have mercy. I love this place, but it ain't this one. Amen? Everything is spiritual. And when we start running through that filter, does this really matter? Is this really the, the soapbox that I need to stand on? I mean, in, in reality, I mean, I've harped on abortion and racism. Both of those are transient, temporary things. saving somebody's soul from a life of sexual immorality makes an eternal difference. When we all get to heaven, <laughs> we ain't going to be different colors. I even want to believe that my dog that I had when I was a kid is going to stand up here right beside me in the choir and howl and sing in that great, I'm going to sing with all creation, right? I'm going to join all creation above the earth, under the earth, all And I'd much rather all of us and the people around us be there than just that dog. You with me? We've got to refocus and find the things that are unseen. Would you stand with me? It is my intention to get practical with this and bring an application over the next several weeks, I promise, hang on. I would never stake my ministry on the fact of who would be the next president of the United States. But I will stake my ministry on the fact that if the church would stop looking at things they can see and find the things that they can't see and start going to war with those things, the church would spark a revival and we would see this nation turn around. Mr. Potato Head could be Mr. Potato Head because the whole country would come back in alignment and we would get back to God's principles again. We can't be like the rest of the world. We can't. And I will stake my ministry on the fact that if we stop looking at what we can see and what we see in people, because it's not about what we see in people, because still what we see in people is their character traits, where they come from, what they look like. We are not seeing the soul that God created in his image. I will stake everything I have on the fact that if the church would stop looking at the things that are seen and find and attack with unseen weapons, the things that are unseen, we can make a difference. Father, I thank you, Lord.
God, I thank you for this word that you've birthed and that's stirred and that's burning in my my bones is set up like fire inside of me, Lord. God, I believe that if this church, every church, Lord, as I already said, this is the one I pastor. If this church, if husbands and dads and, and mothers and grandmothers and grandfathers, Lord, if we could grasp this concept to shift our focus from the things that are seen to those that are unseen, God, I believe we can turn the world upside down or back right side up at a place where we can live for godly principles again. I believe this nation can be redeemed if the church would stop focusing on the things we see and attack the unseen, the spiritual, the, the enemy, the devil that wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything we have. God, today we make a commitment. We realign ourselves. Lord, to fight the things that we can't see. God, give us faith by hearing and let us hear by the Word of God. Let us find your voice. Holy Spirit, use us. Speak to us and let us see past what we see in our physical vision. Let us see the things that are unseen. God, so that we could make a difference. Lord, use us to refocus. Today, God, we make a commitment to you. We're going to start over-spiritualizing everything to see what's really the underlying issue. Father, I thank you for this beautiful time together. Thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit moving among us earlier. Thank you, God, that you care enough about little old me to show up throughout all eternity. God, you are not limited to time, but you chose this moment in time today to show up in this little part of the world, this little part of all creation, to, to allow me to experience you in the way we've experienced you today. I thank you for that, Lord. Father, I pray blessings on your people. Bless them, keep them, Lord. Let your face shine on them. Give them peace, God. Let your countenance be turned toward them, God. Keep them safe, Lord, in the name of Jesus. I love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.